Welcome to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. This is where we tell the stories of construction industry leaders from all across the world in hope of inspiring others to show them that anything is possible. This week, I'm speaking to Declan Gahan, Project Director for Mercury Engineering. Let's get into it. Right, Declan, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. No problem, Stuart. Uh, Happy to oblige and take the opportunity. Perfect. Do you want to just start by taking us right back to the beginning of where where you were kind of brought up and what your sort of childhood was like for you? Yeah, I can, surely. Yeah, I suppose for me, um, I'm from a small village in South Kilkenny uh, in Ireland, uh, a place called Kilmacow. And uh, that's that's, that's home for me. It's where I live uh, still there to this day. I built a house there, settled down there. So, yeah, so we would have a, and I suppose my, my, my father would have, and his father were from the same area. So a lot of contacts from there. So, yeah, that's yeah. based for me. And uh, that's where I set out from back in the day, you know. And obviously through going through school and then how did you how did you yeah. end up in construction? construction was it just was it something that you just went straight into or was there a was family yeah. involved or yeah no my family were, were, weren't really involved in it i suppose you know um yeah went through secondary school in Watford city um uh did woodwork i suppose in secondary school and then moved on into construction studies and i just you know i found for my leaving cert you had to do a, a practical you know, uh, thing for your leaving cert as part of your, your, your the, the studies, and I found that good. You know, the whole thing of building something, putting something together, and uh, I found then during you know summer holidays there would be relations or friends of mine would have been doing work, you know, building their houses, and just loved you know going out into sites and mixing corn concrete and helping and doing a bit of laboring and all that kind of good stuff, putting stuff together. And I just it just kind of grew from there really, you know. And then when I completed my um, leaving cert. Uh, just about got into uh, Carlow IT and yeah. did uh, construction studies. So uh, that was a two-year national cert in construction studies, and uh, that was I that I finished that in 1991. <laughs> uh, a long time ago. Now. Take me way back there, now, Stuart. Are going long, <laughs> long way back. But yeah, 1991. Loved it there. Loved Carlow. Was about an hour from home. Um, but like you know, finished in 91. Like yeah, like in Ireland that time you 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 were in a recession. You know things were not good. It was hard to get work. It was hard to get money together to even to keep going in college. Uh, like there was five of us at home. I was the oldest, and um, didn't know what to do. Would I keep going? Try to get money together? And uh, I got a job actually. Uh, there was a neighbour of mine. He was um, a contracts manager at Rostone, and they were doing a, a road project in uh, outside New Ross in South Kilkenny. A bypass project project so i got in there for three or four months kind of helping out doing a bit of setting out liked it and um that got me up to you know 1992 march 1992 and uh there was a, a massive shopping center development uh, happening in warford at that time uh, called city square but the project had closed for the best part of uh, nine months uh, or more or even a year uh, i used to be going into warford as a young guy and going shopping and seeing these two massive tower cranes up in a half empty derelict construction site with Jesus. the system on them yeah so at that, that time you had the original the old gulf war i suppose if you want to put it that way um Waterford crystal i suppose were a huge employer in Waterford and a renowned worldwide name um there were people being let off um and done stores and water stores in that particular project with the anchor tenants and they basically pulled out and the job was stopped so in march 92 uh, the site reopened and i as a young willing guy was going looking for work and called in um kind of knew the site agent and uh, basically got a job uh, setting out 
And um, war for that time would have been a very unionized, you know, uh, city, I guess, you know, for unions and all that. And I always remember Liam Welch, who was the contracts manager, um, who I greatly respected, went on to be a regional director with CISC, called me into his office one day. He said, if anybody calls in, ask you what's your title, you tell him you're a trainee construction technician. I always remember it. So I started right <laughs> at the right at the very bottom. Um, uh, uh, my first task, uh, I always remember uh, on, on site on that day was uh, I was uh, date stamping the drawings and putting me into the drawing register. The 5th of March, 1992, it was two days stamping drawings. And there you go. That's where I started. And um, and that's when your sort of career began with with Cisc, was it right? It was in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, that's where I started. So um, so basically, I just uh, really progressed, got into know about uh, concrete reinforced concrete. It was a massive reinforced concrete project. Um, doing, I was basically responsible and put responsible for looking after concrete, making the cubes, stumping concrete, stumping stumping concrete, uh, quality control, but also all the setting out, getting to know the instruments. Uh, the dumpy levels, the old yard lights back in the day, there was no um, total stations even then. Uh, they didn't come for a few years after that. So I was kind of responsible for setting out of the frame internally, and there was another engineer responsible outside. And uh, there was a senior engineer from Cork uh, looking after us. So over the time, more engineers came and went, you know, uh, students, trainees, other, other people like that. But I was there right at the very, very end. So I got great satisfaction in that job, you know, when it reopened at that time to when it uh, opened to the public in May 93. Uh, and got huge experiences regards how CIS work, uh, quality control procedures, and right right through then into the internal fit out of the whole development. Really, it was a huge project for Water at that time. And I suppose when that finished, um, uh, the contracts manager at the time uh, asked me uh, to go down to Cork in May '93, and that's when my journey, I suppose, really started with CISC, uh down in Cork. There was a massive boom taking off in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, where CISC really advanced uh, for the following year. So I went down and started in um, uh, Pfizer's, a huge uh, pharmaceutical company, yeah. well world-renowned, uh, OSP3. I went from there then to Sandos, now known as Novartis and Ringoskiddy. And, you know, I was down there for a good few years. And eventually I was making my way up up the ladder, uh, setting out and all did the you, rest of it. From did there, you find you know, it was different? Did you find it was different from the... For the projects in Waterford going and into the pharma world? Um, it was. It was supposed to be a lot more stringent as regards quality control. Like, you know, you had, um, how will I put it, would say, you know, you, you had the, the design teams were on site. Uh, they were very stringent, you know, over Arab, Arab consulting engineers, for example, would have been on site. You'd have clerk of works, resident engineers. The quality control and the regime was stepped up, you know, tenfold, really, you know, uh, which again opened my eyes and brought me forward again in quality control, reinforced concrete, uh, and building frames, I suppose, in general, you know. So that was a huge learning curve for me uh, in my career, uh, getting into the whole pharmaceutical thing. And, in, and down the line, then, once I progressed into project management, just how to manage those type of projects internally and externally, you know. And how did you, when was the step into being a project manager than actually running your own job? Was it a, yeah. was it a soft, soft entry into that world it, or was it, it, it was you already it kind, doing it? It kind of was, um, like I suppose the progression with CISC and, you know, very good for mentoring and you're always uh, looking up to people above you in a senior position. Um, like I did move on to um, senior engineer, I suppose, you know, in that time on various projects. Um, you know, Mona Lambert, for example, I was senior engineer there looking after a lot of the engineers on the project. 
would have been doing planning and programming at that stage, reporting into the project director or the senior contracts manager, uh, doing technical submittals and getting to know details, internal fit out, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there was a, a very good project I was involved in, was always one that always stood out for me, was in UCC, University College Cork. Uh, it was the Applied Business and Languages building, uh, now, known as, now known as the O'Rahilly building. So that was a uh, a very interesting project in that, um, you know, CISC back in the, the 1900s, late 1800s, would have been well renowned in Ireland for building uh, uh, churches and chapels in, in the country, you know. And there was, a, there was a church built on UCC by CISC in the, the turn of the century called the Honan Church. There was a, a Honan hostel, which was an old hostel ad adjacent to that, which was demolished, and the stone was reused in in the building of the of the new uh, O'Rahilly building. And I was a senior engineer on that, so that gave me great experience. But I always remember uh, about two years after that project completed, Jardini, uh, who was the um, senior contracts manager, uh, stroke regional director at the time. Uh, said to me, we're after getting an, an, an extension onto the O'Reilly building uh, and you're going to be the project manager on it. And I said, oh, wow, okay, that's fine. Uh, and that was my first step up. Cisco, go that way. They wouldn't put you on a 30 or 40 million euro project as yeah. the first project manager experience. They'd give you a, a 10 or 15 million euro project with a, a good team around you. And uh, you go from there and you just keep stepping stepping along from there, um, um, Stuart, you know. And obviously, from from the different projects that you've managed to where you are now, what what are the things? What are the key things that you kind of learned earlier on in your career? That did you did you have any projects that didn't go well? Um, look at you'll always have some projects which have a lot more challenges than other uh, projects. You know, um, like the key in most projects is is I suppose pre planning and getting the project set up and have enough time to set up a project. But also, even if that happens. You'll always have challenges on a project, be it um, design issues or subcontractor issues and all that, but you just have to go with it. Um, I suppose the big thing for me and some of these really, really challenging projects is resilience, you know, and having a team with you and around you that you can trust, I suppose, that would work with you and have, would, have, would have resilience because especially in the last five years, we've had, you know, huge issues between COVID being a massive, massive issue in construction uh, a couple of years back, uh, but also then with uh, material shortages and labor shortages, you know, so every project difference from one to another, Stuart, you know, so you just have to adapt uh, and be resilient. That's the fundamental uh, thing for me and, and some of these projects, you know. Would you say if you could give, say, one key strength that you need to have that enabled, yeah. uh, you know, in order to deliver projects at the scale that you're delivering now, what would you say it was? Well, I suppose, uh, look, I mean, you, you need to be, you know, honourable, I suppose. Um, you know, you have to be, uh, I suppose, respectful to your site team and all your staff on the team. Um, be right with them. And also with the client. You know, the client at the end of the day is the, is, 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 is the person that, um, you know, us as people in construction deliver to. And that was always one for me, uh, starting a project, just getting to know the client what that person is like, our person, but ideally or normally there's usually one key person on the client team that uh, myself as a, as a construction manager or project manager or whatever would have been reporting to. And you're really delivering for him, you know. You, some some projects, you know, like you talk about pharmaceutical, you talk about, you know, commercial property, but then you have other types of projects like, you know, centre parks, for example, or you know, where, where at the very, very end of a project, you know, you have something that's so, it's so unique 
uh, you can see the public coming into it at the end. You can see them enjoying it, but also the client at the end of that can say, you know, guys, you did a really, really good job here. The quality is top notch. It's turned out very, very well. We're very, very happy in that. Anyone in project management and construction would say, you know, that's absolutely brilliant. We've done something to satisfy this client. And hopefully in the future, he'll give us some repeat business. And that's what me and people like me in the industry will always be striving for us to keep a client happy, you know, and uh, hopefully get some repeat work. That's what it's all about. And two things I'm sort of um, intrigued about is, number one would be, how do you stay so calm? Every time I speak to you, very calm on a project, wherever it's been up to. Um, is it, I, 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 do, you have, do you have the swan approach? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, Stuart. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, one or two people have said that to me over the years, you know, that, you know, um, uh, they'd be talking to me at meetings and all that, and, you know, my demeanour is always relatively calm looking, but believe me, Stuart, <laughs> maybe it's the complexion I give on the exterior, but interior some days, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely, extremely difficult, but you know, maybe I just take a couple of deep breaths, but I think people in senior positions, they need to remain as calm as possible. You know, when you get to people in certain positions, you know, managing large projects or whatever type of project, you're going to have, a, you know, a site team underneath you. And the, the last thing you need to do, I suppose, is to, you know, allow the, allow the team underneath you to see you suffering under severe pressure or whatever. You just need to deal with it in your own way, you know, go for a walk, take a break, you know. Uh, gather yourself and go against your but uh, it's not always easy believe me not always and just just on that point do you have how is your it's obviously personal but your external life does that does that help does is it quite calm in your your external life in order to yeah you know to assist with your with your work life yeah relatively i suppose yeah for me i was always big into sport uh, sport driven um Love watching sport but obviously being active and taking part in sport back at home you know um I, I find that very very important because you know team sport is something i was always big into you know playing gaelic games at home playing hurling uh, gaelic football uh, whatever it may be uh, team sports i always found were brilliant you know make so many friends you know just not to think about the job you know for a few hours to get away from it all and then, you know, in later years, then once once I give up the team sports, you know, taking on new hobbies like cycling, for example, just, you know, starting a cycling club at home. And that's opened up another world of people to know, you know, out there in sport yeah. and have other social circles to, to mingle in and do other activities. But I found I always found that very, very important to get to break away from it. It's not always easy when you're working, you know, during the week. Um, you know, it's can be extremely difficult, but I always try, you know, one evening, one night in the week, not two, but at least one if I can, you know, get that hour, hour and a half away, get home, you know, get on, go out, go out in the turbo trainer, get out in the road, you know, clear the head, go off for a spin on your own, one or, two people, one or two friends or whatever. You know, it's vital, you know, Stuart, I find, you know. And obviously now you, you're with Mercury. So yeah, for around, around is it about ten months now? I think. Roughly? Yeah, since March. Yeah, so yeah, that's right, Stuart. Yeah, so you know, I I, I suppose I spent uh, 30, 30 years with John Sisk uh, in Ireland. Um, uh, walked abroad. I was in Germany for for you know for a period of time doing a Primark project there in Hanover, uh, but mostly in Ireland, um, based out of the southern region, but obviously traveling as well. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm over in Milan now uh, since March. Um, it was a massive, I suppose, move for me personally. Um, you know, after giving a, a long, long service to John Sisk to make this decision. But I was at a point in my career and a point in my life, I suppose, where 
I just felt like, you know, I just needed to get another challenge, go for another challenge. An opportunity arose, um, you know, to come to Mercury um, and, and to move to Milan. Uh, and uh, I suppose no regrets. You know, we're doing a large data center here for uh, Microsoft. Um, Microsoft are a, value, a valued client for, for Mercury. And, um, you know, the... I suppose the forecast for future work over the coming years in Europe and particularly in Italy is very, very good for, for Microsoft. We hope to get further work over here. So yeah, currently working as a, a project director in the hyperscale data center division for Mercury. Uh, Mercury have three separate data center divisions. So yeah, I'm currently in the hyperscale. And how are you finding the changeover from looking for your profile? I know a lot of it's been pharmaceutical, food, commercial, and you know everything that kind of fits under that commercial uh, industrial bracket now you're obviously in hyperscale dcs have you found there's been much yeah. difference or what has uh, been, if there has what's the big what's been the biggest obviously yeah there are some differences like i said Stuart, I, i've had a you know over 30 plus projects previous to this um and have done a varied amount of of of, of types of construction up to you know uh class seven class a type clean rooms which are very very high end internally so you know the data center thing didn't worry or concern me too much uh, they're reasonably straightforward forms of construction from the from the ground up you know you have you have, you have reinforced concrete steel frames um cladding you know built up roofs you know you big ancillary external buildings uh, but at the end of the day it's all about getting a building constructed getting it weathered uh, getting getting the conditions right for the internal fit out to commence and obviously the mechanical and electrical installations are massive uh, and including all the external plants that goes with it so yeah there are some terminologies which would be new to me but um you know it doesn't take long to get to know them and get involved and get to know how the how the, everything works uh, pieces together really but at the end of the day as a garage general construction you know it's worked out quite well and nothing too new i suppose or unusual Stuart, you know compared to what i've been I, i've done in the past you know yeah, no, hundred percent. I think yeah. one of the big things is in the industry is I know from me being a recruitment agent that we you get asked a lot of the time for people with data center experience, whether whatever it might be, whether it's a project manager or site manager or health and safety uh, person with DC experience. Why do you think that is particular? If it's if it is just a building that's constructed like most other yeah. are you asking about just staff in general or sorry health and safety or uh, uh, no no just staff in gen general, general really um a lot of people staff, want dc experience um yes and no i suppose it depends really on the mechanical and electrical side um for instance you know mechanical leads uh mechanical persons out and say and particularly in the electrical side there would be some benefits there, um, you know, having done one in the past and how all of the equipment goes in and how all of the cables get terminated and how everything works together to get it to the commission state, you know. Uh, there are certain processes depending on the data center client uh, that need to be achieved towards the end of the project during the whole commissioning phase, which is, look, there's a bit of knowledge around the whole thing and having that previous experience helps a person to be able to do his job correctly, if that makes sense, you know? So, yeah. but apart from that, from a CSA point of view, not necessarily, I mean, uh, Mercury are, you know, we, we're taking on new people um, at the moment for future for projects in Milan, Italy and in Europe. And uh, for me, uh, who was who was kind of, you know, interviewing people or looking at people at the moment uh, on the CSA side would not be a big deal if they haven't got data center experience. On the safety side, 
it's not the end of the world. It is not a deal breaker. Uh, but if somebody's CV has 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 worked in a data center in the past, uh, depending on who the client may be, uh, some clients like Microsoft have certain requirements um, within their own organization for health and safety. Uh, and a person having previous knowledge is a benefit, uh, but it's not uh, not essential because they would pick it up quite easily if they're confident. You know, makes sense. And. Um... Just talk me through. I'm always I'm always intrigued about this. What does your, especially in your role, right, in a, in a senior position, project director, looking after hyperscale data center, right, really important role. What does a typical morning routine look like for you? Are you do you get up early? Are you a late waker? What's I'm always interested how it kind of goes. For yeah, I suppose they're they're long days, uh, Stuart, or intense days. I suppose typically for me, um, you know, on a Monday morning, you know, I, I'm I'm on the road uh, at three thirty in the morning. Um, so I'm up at around quarter past three in the morning. I'm on the road at half three, twenty to four, and uh, I'm up the motorway to Dublin Airport. Uh, I usually get get into the airport around quarter past five. Up on the bus then, and I'm in Dublin Airport uh, to fast track. Uh, hopefully up to the lounge and get a quick bowl of cereal. Head to head to the departures, and I'm on the seven or seven fifteen direct flight from Dublin to Milan uh, Linate Airport. Uh, that gets in. Uh, that gets in, uh, depending on on how, how the flights go. Uh, around half eleven in the morning, uh, jump in the car. There might be a couple of the guys in the plane come to the site. I give them a lift. Might grab a cappuccino at the airport on the way on the way through, and we're on on on, on site for you know uh, before twelve o'clock, quarter to twelve. We're lucky that way uh, with our client that their 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 site locations locations are strategically planned to be relatively close to airports, and we're about twenty minutes, uh, thirty minutes from the airport. So yeah, here on site, um, that's Monday. Uh, usually, uh, lots of meetings, catching up with the guys after the weekend, how things have gone on. Uh, go for the site walk and um, the rest of the week then yeah I, I suppose I'm up reasonably early in the morning I'll be up around uh, six ten past six in the morning get my breakfast I like to get the porridge the orange juice uh, uh, get a good start of the day and I'm on site for you know around quarter to seven seven o'clock the latest and like the, the site team here are usually all here in there at the 7 a.m we have a 7 a.m start uh, till about 6 p.m. Um, six some some evenings it could be 7 p.m. before we before you leave the site and uh, unfortunately there's a a couple of evenings then uh, at home um, after having having something to eat where the laptop could be on for another hour or so unfortunately catching up on emails uh, Stuart you know but um, days are usually quite busy they're hectic out on the site um, you know we're meeting with our subcontractors you know. Um, on the on the on the on the facade in particular and at the moment we're quite we're fairly busy on the external works uh concrete yards underground services so we have an italian subcontractor so we're paying a lot of attention with him at the moment and uh, just generally yeah it's they're usually busy busy days Stuart. to be fair you know and how do you from obviously the, the your schedule seems crazy from obviously flying back and forth obviously every week and mm. um, the longer days while you're over there what keeps you motivated Ah, what, what keeps me motivated, I suppose. I suppose really, Stuart, at the end of the day, and I said it earlier, you know, we, we, we have a client that we're building for. Uh, no matter who the client may be at the moment, it's it's Microsoft. Uh, at the end of the day, we want to, you know, complete and hand over a job to the highest standards in every way possible, between safety, uh, quality, etc. So for me, you know, on the position I'm in, that's always the goal. You know, it's getting the job done, getting the, getting it done right. But it's also the team, you know, we have a great team here, you know, um, 
uh, this week was diversity and inclusion week and we did some oh, sorry last week and uh, we just did something um, on the project just to recognize that and um, the team here came together and we did something the canteen people kind of dressed in the national clothes brought in some of their own cooking or whatever and uh, we've 75 nationalities in the project so it's the camaraderie i suppose in the project uh, working with people working with good people and uh, for me it's uh, being able to help uh, some other members of staff and their career bring them along you know, coach them where I can help mentor them. I get satisfaction out of that, you know, and seeing how they how they might progress in their own career. Because as I said earlier, you know, we have, we have future project projects and other projects coming up. So I'm always interested in, um, you know, uh, having the best for people and seeing how they progress as well, you know. Obviously, you've probably been in a similar position when you were, like you were talking about before, when you, earlier days at CISC and you were you were heavily mentored yourself. Who would you say the sort of the most influential people have been in, in your career so far? That's 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 a, that's a tough question, I suppose. Like you know, to be fair, you know, all of my career has been with with Cisc, you know, primarily back in Ireland. Um, and there've been there've been some great people there, you know, back over the years, you know. Um, I've mentioned some of them already. Uh, you know, the likes of well, some a lot of the people I've have have retired at this stage, but there were people that were heavily involved in, in my career. Um, the likes of Jared Dennehy, you know, Liam Welsh. I've mentioned Martin Carney, um, and then. There was a site agent, you know, a person on the ground I would have soldiered with for many, many years, and we're still close friends, even though he's retired. Eamon Morrissey, he's one. Um, and I, I suppose the person I've worked with longest, I suppose, I would have to recognise was Frank Quirk, who is uh, currently a CEO with uh, with Mercury, uh, who obviously would have worked previously with with CISC. You know, I, I first met Frank back in that City Square shopping centre de development in 1992. Oh, really? yeah so um so frank and what, i what was uh, what was frank's position back then frank i suppose frank well you know frank was a senior engineer back then you know um he had spent some time in new york and was two or three years with cisc at that time and uh you know towards the latter end of the project maybe a couple of months ago there were a lot of people drafted in to make sure it got completed on time the deadline was not going to be missed so and uh, when i went to uh Pfizer's in 1993 uh, frank was a senior engineer on the job and we would have been out setting out out, out, out in the site, uh, marking out concrete foundations and plinths and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, here we are today. I'm I'm on site in Milan today, and uh, he's on site here today. So yeah, huge respect for Frank. Yeah, over the years. How do you, from oh, it's quite clear to see, right? And I've seen this. It's it's a bit of a common trait from the people that I've been speaking to. A lot of um, some of the most successful people have come right from the ground up, and they've been on the tools themselves, and they've been out there. Um, how important do you think that site exposure was so early on in the career to, to and how has it paid sort of dividend now it's it's massive it's invaluable Stuart I mean like I, I said earlier you know like I was you know I started at the very very bottom you know and um, at that time you know Cisco the company didn't really subcontract a lot of work okay labor um and uh between you know general laborers and concrete placers and carpenters like so you were kind of involved with them from day one and seeing how they operate okay years later everything got subcontracted and we came into more of a management type company so you saw all types of construction dealing with all kinds of people but uh that was that was hugely valuable for me as i came up and then in later years i went back uh went back studying you know i, I went and did the chartership uh the CIOB uh via the dmx route my own career and just to broaden my own knowledge and get chartered and then directly after that then um 
went straight into the um, Masters in Construction Project Management, WIT, which again was a huge help, part-time, um, back maybe 15 years ago, 13, 15 years ago at this stage. So I suppose I found it a good mix, you know, uh, like I said, I came out yeah. in recession, things at times are tough, uh, but then I realized, you know, after 10 years on site, in order to help with my own, my own, I suppose, career and my own knowledge in construction was to uh, help my own studies. So I, I, I got the balance kind of right. I think I did anyway. And um, talk about right now, then, what are the biggest challenges that you, you're currently facing, would you say? Yeah, currently facing, Stuart, you know, I suppose the last number of years, you know, people in construction, it's, it's, it's um, I suppose, staff, I suppose, is one element that everybody in construction is kind of looking at for staff, retaining staff and getting good staff for works that are coming up. Um, it's always a challenge for everybody. Uh, it's a challenge for Mercury um, out there in the industry at the moment. Um, as you well know, I've been talking to yourself for the last while. Yeah. Um, in the marketplace, that's always a key challenge. But obviously, also, um, like, you know, Mercury in Milan, you know, this is the first uh, project for Mercury in Milan. So it's a new, it's a new region. Uh, it's finding, you know, the right subcontractors, the right partners, the right supply chain to work with us uh, for this project and for future projects. So that has been a challenge. Um, uh, but for, for the most part, it's worked out well. Uh, but like a lot of people, uh, trades, some of the trades, uh, shuttering carpenters, maybe from time to time now here on this project has been a challenge with the contractor we have on site who is an Italian subcontractor. We have obviously um, uh, subcontractors from Ireland and from various parts of Europe, and we have obviously Italian. So like home, like in Ireland, you know, getting trades can be a challenge. So that's always one that you have to try to plan for the best you can. Um, what we try to do is suppose we mitigate or we prioritize what we have to prioritize in different work fronts to make sure the, uh, the completion dates are not jeopardized. So that's always a challenge. Uh, and I, I'd say it will continue to be for the foreseeable until um, trades start to improve, um, Stuart. How do you how do you find these subcontractors? You know your, your supply chain. Like when you when you go and bid, you know if you go and tender for a new project, do you always do you already have um, subcontractors like supply chain in mind for the for the different uh, yeah the different for, packages? Yeah, for some like uh, for some like Mercury, I suppose uh, you know they are in most European countries doing doing large projects at the moment, so we'll have a wide range of knowledge with subcontractors in the European region. Uh, however, for, for, for Milan, for Italy, for example, one of the first things that uh, Mercury did was um, we employed some local people. Um, so we would have some senior managers here, project managers here who are from Italy and would have a good knowledge of the local database supply chain. Subcontractor knowledge would establish um, you know that database for us we would go meet them with our italian you know staff and uh, get a relationship going you know agree prices agree rates and obviously you know we've had we have some good partners now here you know uh, and we would hope you know for future projects in milan and literally we can you know work with those subcontractors and that's the benefit for them as well you know coming to work for america as a new company you know uh, that they see benefit in potentially future work and so you, do you think that for anybody listening that's, um, you know, maybe a SME style construction business looking to maybe get feet on the ground uh, somewhere in Europe, then you would say it's definitely a good thing to be trying to employ local, local, local people and really getting your um, really, yeah. um, some inside knowledge of, you know, the supply chain over there? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. Um, you know, um it is a challenge. Um, certainly, you probably can't put all your eggs in one basket and just rely all on local supply chain or local subcontractors for that matter. You have to have the mix, you know. Um, 
you know, we have one, we have one or two subcontractors here who we would have used, you know, in the past in Ireland and would know them, you know, so you need to have that bit of reliability coming here as well uh, to be able to fall yeah. back on. And depending on the scale and the size of the project or the data center, you know, it can be difficult to give all of the works to one subcontractor, depending on the package, you know, and we've had conversations and decisions to be made to split up the packages as well, uh, because, you know, you're, you're, you're running the risk, you know, if that subcontractor doesn't really perform uh, and then contractually it can be very, very difficult. So, you know, that's always a challenge, but you have to weigh up the risk as well, Stuart. And has, has Brexit affected um, the, the project? I know, because I know, I know yeah. it, it was obviously, a, when it first sort of hit, I know it's it caused a lot of problems, especially a lot of guys from the UK that were looking to go abroad. And, and now, yeah, yeah has, it, has it been, a has it impacted you? Have you seen it, seen the impact? A bit. Yeah, a bit like, you know, as I said, you know, me coming into, you know, to Europe for, you know, the first time in 10 years, walking away from home and in post-Brexit and post-Covid um, and getting to know the region, getting to know Italy. You know, Italy has its own regulations and rules around that. So, yes, Italy and, and Poland, I think, as well, are quite strict and stringent. For example, for a UK passport holder to work in Milan and work in Italy, uh, it could take up to six months to get their full permitting requirements sorted to be able to work in Italy. So that is that is difficult. That is extremely difficult and can be, it's usually a question, as you know, I've been asking yourself and you've kind of just maybe come forward to us, you know, are they EU passport or what passport are they? Because if they're uh, UK, unfortunately, it's nearly when we say, look, we need guys here in the next whatever. Um, we, we can't, unfortunately. So, yeah, that has been a bit of a challenge. That, and it, unfortunately, for people, UK passports um, has been a bit of a negative, to be fair. I, I think um, it's something that I'm launching alongside this podcast is the global mobility side of things, the global mobility series, which is going to be interviewing um, immigration specialists and tax specialists that can get yeah. people from a to b and um it is an area that i think most clients are struggling with and it is an area where i think that from from my knowledge you can bring people in but it takes a lot of effort and it all just depends on time scales and i think half the battle is uh, as you know every time you need somebody it's yesterday it's not yeah. it's never you know it, it, the most that you've got to deal with is a month maximum usually yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's and it, you know he's, I think um, from speaking to a lot of senior directors that are being awarded data center jobs, they're they're um, it, it's awarded and they almost want you to deploy a team immediately. So it's it's very yeah. difficult to work with them timescales and then work with a country's permit system. So I think exactly. that, that's where yeah. yeah I think that's exactly, where it's. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah you're, you're right there, Stuart. It's all about timing and getting enough time on the pre-construction phase to be able to gear up to say, look at, okay, we got a project, you know, it's been priced, it's, you know, it's agreed and uh, it's starting in three or four months time. Then you have a chance that you might want, you know, an electrical person or whatever in six months time. And, you know, then you can entertain a CV or a person who might have a UK passport. You know, that's that's kind of the, 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 the exception really that where, where it could work, you know. So what does the next five years look like for you? I mean, you might not plan ahead that, that far, but uh, what does the future look like for you? And say your division within Mercury, where do you want to see yourself? Uh, look, look for me, uh, for me, Stuart, I suppose, you know, I've made a, a, a big, a massive commitment to join Mercury, you know, um, to come in and as, a, as, a, as a party director. So, you know, I'm look, just looking forward to, 
um, you know, looking ahead for the next project and looking looking ahead to running the next project, you know, um, you know, the, a, a data center, you know, from from you know commencement to overall completion and handover can take in around two years, give or take, depending on the size of the site, the size of the project, you know. So um, that you know, we're hoping to start another one, another data center in the next three or four or five months, uh, which I hope to go on to. Uh, and then that'll take me two years. That's two and a half of the year is gone. Uh, and then who knows after that, you know, if I if I if I do a good job or it turns out okay, hopefully Mercury will uh, hold on to me and give me another job. So that's that's the plan in the short term anyway, Stuart. Perfect. And I was just going to ask as a sort of a final question on, on this topic, really, is is there anything that you've learned coming into the data center industry as a project manager um, that you would that you would ultimately advise, um, like any, any piece of advice you'd give that you've learned that you, you wouldn't do again, should I say? Um, it's hard to say, I suppose. Every project... Um, um, Stuart will have lessons learned, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking some notes on this one already for the next one to bring forward as well. So every every project will have lessons learned, no doubt about it, you know, and it's, it's, it's I suppose it's nothing really unique, you know, at the end of the day, I said at the outset, it's all, it's all, it's all construction, really, you know, dealing with people. Um, you're different. You're dealing with different types of people from all different nationalities. You're different. You're dealing with all of that, but still, then they are dealing with, you know, subcontractors. You're dealing with trades and everything that goes together to make a project tick, really, you know. But there's nothing really overly unique about it at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, not, nothing really that would stand out for me, uh, Stuart. Nothing that's new. Nothing that's usually new. No, nothing that's usually new. Okay, for me, um, for me, it's knowledge and getting more knowledge, I suppose, on the whole. Uh, back end of the project and how the whole commissioning phase works together that is what it is all about it's whatever we're getting the building put together and getting it ready for fit out um the back end you know their i suppose their uh, their set metrics really depending on the scale and the size of a valuable project are set metrics that have to be followed and i suppose it's getting to know that knowledge and getting to know how that works um because the planning i suppose and the management of that at that end of the project is is very very important you know and uh between the the different uh walk down processes between yellow tag or whatever you know there are certain um i suppose uh, as i said earlier metrics metrics that have to be met and achieved so that's probably a key point for me you know perfect we'll go with some light-hearted stuff now so just 10 quick fire questions for you okay the really, the really you? hard ones yeah. The really hard ones. What's your favourite film of all time? Okay, I don't really have really favourite films, but I do like. Uh, I love watching Netflix when I get time, and and there's some great documentaries, films on that. Uh, um, uh, Stuart, um, you know, I just like the the whole adventure thing. Like, you know, there's one particular one that stands out for me, The Dawn Wall. Not sure if you've seen it. Um, no. Mountaineering, uh, mountain, mountaineering guy, you know, um, extreme mountain climbing in, in Yosemite, Yosemite National Park, where it's this kind of, it's like a vertical rock face. Nobody ever climbed it, and how we, he, how he planned the whole thing and brought his friend with him, and then the training of it, how we lost his finger, and they used to, they lived on the wall, like you know, they camped, they used to hang a rope and just live on the wall, and people would drop food down to him from a rope for about a three or four week period. So, things I just love those Jesus. documentaries of extreme things where people do, and uh, yeah, so I. I Netflix for me is good. Anything on that is usually quite good, you know. Perfect. 
What's your favourite sport? You mentioned a few before. Yeah, hurling for me, I suppose, as I mentioned, uh, since I was a very, very small boy, um, you know, living in Kilkenny, they're a, a proud hurling county. Um, back in Ireland, yeah, Gaelic Games, so I played that all my life um, with the club in small county and with a bit of coaching and I yeah, really, really loved it and uh, I suppose I could obviously continue to support the county and support the club at home when I can. I would have been involved in the committee for a good few years um but you know when you're in construction you're working away unfortunately i had to step away from the whole uh committee side of it or you know executive part of it when i was given the handout but uh really loved the gaelic games uh, watching it um and uh, yeah that was the big one for me and at the moment uh cycling i suppose uh, just to keep things taken over and uh yeah and uh bringing the my son and daughter to you know around round trips for karate and martial arts i suppose is taking a lot of my time at the moment you know what, what martial arts did they do? Uh, Shorter can karate, my son and daughter. Yeah, the two of them are massive into it. I got them into it when they were young. Um, they do one or two right. other sports as well, but uh, karate is their main main um, sport, I guess, and would re represent Ireland on the international stage. So uh, that keeps us Brilliant. busy uh, every year, traveling around the world, yeah, helping out there where we can, and uh, uh, my wife at home, bringing them training and all that kind of thing. Brilliant. What's your um, favorite music genre, an artist, if you have one? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, nothing really particular, I guess, you know, I mean, you know, anything from Guns N' Roses to Faithless to anything with the modern stuff, you know, I'm, anything really depends on my mood, I suppose, you know, if I was going to play in a game back in the day, I'd have the Guns N' Roses going to the match or, you know, depending yeah. on the mood, you know, to get psyched up. Um, but if I'm on the bike, you know, it's it's everything and anything, you know, a bit of bit of uh, soul, a bit of uh, rock music uh, that keeps me calm, I suppose, Stuart, you know. If you could have a coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Historical, I'm not sure. Would you call him historical? Maybe someone like David Attenborough really, you know, intrigues me. Um, yeah. How he's keeping going and doing what he's doing, the love for, you know, the outdoor life and for nature is just, I just think it's fascinating and uh you know what he's done in film over the years I anytime he comes on t television I just it just I just glue to him so if ever I got a chance to bump into him in Starbucks for a cup of coffee I just love to have a chat with him for sure yeah he has one of them voices that just just yeah. captures you straight away yeah no so amazing man un he's unbelievable yeah 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 Fa favorite color Purple. I don't know why. I always was since I was small. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I just like purple. Even though I'm wearing black today, but don't there you go. I think I'm a purple, I think I'm a purple shirt actually. Anyway, purple, yeah. <laughs> Favourite yeah. meal. Oh, okay. Uh well uh, I, I I like lasagna, you know. Uh but back at home, um, you know, bacon and cabbage, mother in law at home, it's hard to say no. Uh, with parsley sauce. Yeah, good old Irish dinner. Lovely. What's your worst sport that you never want to watch? <sighs> Don't want, don't want to play it. I won't say cricket. Cricket is okay, okay. Uh, it's uh, I, sometimes, but um, horse racing for me, you know, I know Irish is in Ireland. Horse racing is massive. It's huge, massive following. But um, you know, would never have been a horsey family, you know. Uh, but when the sport comes on, um, yeah, I, I, I just switch off. I just keep going. I just I don't know what to watch, <laughs> you know. You know, unless someone gives me a, a tip for uh, but only other than that, I wouldn't uh, be too bothered watching horse racing, Stuart. Yeah anything else what's, i love sport i love sport but anything else yeah anything else it's fine what's a tv show that you dislike the most or even a, it doesn't have to be a specific show it could be a type of show that you that you see it and you're like oh, i'm turning this over 
not uh, some some game shows are really cringy i i just don't you know i just don't get them you know um really really bad i just i just switch over straight away you know i wouldn't even know the names of them but you know have these family ones and they're doing these games and stuff i just i just keep going i don't okay i can't stand them <laughs> yeah what what's the uh what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you oh god i i don't know god can be work can be, can be something at work that happened that was embarrassing or it could be uh, external something that you can oh, still keep your job after the video oh stop uh, i was on a project and that was a couple of years back um it's when the whole teams thing came in short yeah and i was yeah. on a team teams meeting it was a site meeting and the usual thing uh, uh, i was getting a bit of a hard time from one of the client reps about something and um he was giving out basically okay and i thought i was on mute <laughs> I <wasn't. laughs> so what i did was i took up the mobile phone and i rang up the site format in the site and i gave him a bit of a rollick and now to be honest with you and i was one or two bits of expletives and um kind of related to the guy who was you know on the call and um unfortunately the my project manager at the time just walked in the door you're on you're not on mute <laughs> <laughs> so there you go that's one i probably yeah yeah never, <laughs> never forget it the course of teams anyway but uh, i've never Jesus. done it since yeah never done it since it's it's it wasn't good <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, if you could have uh, so the last question then so if you could nominate anybody that you either know right now or you you've seen in the industry that you would like to hear their story who would you nominate just one person <sighs> and we'll try and get them on next I have nothing on the top of my head now. Ooh. Probably someone in Cisco, I would say, um, Stuart, I'd have to think of a name, but yeah, someone there, I suppose, in a senior position, you, like, you know. Um, you've, you've got to pick one and put you on the spot. Eh? Everyone, everybody gets put on the spot just for one name that you'd, that you'd like to hear their story. Somebody. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe someone like Stephen O'Shea. Stephen is with, with Merrick as well at the moment. Uh, Stephen's is a you know really solid guy and uh you know i'm working with him at the moment so maybe steven's story yeah yeah perfect perfect brilliant look declan really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us yeah great stuff Stuart. it was uh good to chat yourself and uh this new forum and forum and uh wish you the best to look look with us take care thanks man thanks Stuart. thanks for listening to the leaders in construction podcast with me Stuart wallace i hope this episode has inspired you in more ways than one until next time.